0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And before we jump in today, I just want to pause, and I want to thank you so much for being here, to listening to this show, supporting our show, supporting our mission, whether today is the first episode that you have listened to, if you've just found us, or if you have supported us every episode along the way. I just want to pause, and I want to thank you so, so, so much for lending us your ears, for supporting our show. It means the world to me. I hope to provide you with a good return on your time. So again, thank you so much for lending us your time. Thank you so much for supporting this show. So today's guest is none other than Eric Wood. Eric was a former NFL center. He played college football at the University of Louisville before becoming the Buffalo Bills first-round draft pick in the 2009 NFL Draft. Eric went on to play nine Straight years in the league, all with the Bills, which is extremely rare in the NFL. He's made Pro Bowls and was also nominated as one of 32 players in the entire league as a finalist for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Eric was instrumental in leading the Bills to their first playoff victory since 1999 in the 17 18 season, after which he failed his end of season physical with a spinal injury that ended his career and nearly left him paralyzed. Since his time in the league, Eric has written columns for The Athletic and served as a commentator on the Buffalo Bills radio network. He also has his own podcast titled What's Next with Eric Wood, which he started in the midst of his own life transition. He brings on amazing guests and highlights their stories, struggles, and triumphs through their biggest transitions in life as well. It's an awesome show. Obviously, Eric is a student of the game, but he gets really great guests as well. Eric is a guy that I personally am very inspired by to reach my own potential and be my absolute best. But he's also a guy I'd love to kick back, have a few beers with on the golf course as well. But above it all, he is an incredible man, husband and father, and it was an honor to host him for a conversation on the show. So here's my conversation with the... Eric Wood. And we are live with former NFL Pro Bowl center, a guy who played all nine years with the same team in the Buffalo Bills with us today, the one and only Eric Wood. Eric, I want to first and foremost, I want to thank you so much for making some time for us today. And I also want to thank you for being a guy who's really stepped up uh, to champion this message, this idea, this skill set of navigating through the transitions in our lives. So the older that I've gotten, the more that I've realized that life is full of these times of transition. Some are bigger, some are smaller, but ultimately how we respond to these times, how we navigate through these times, it's mission critical in living out the lives that we are called to live. Through your story, through your podcast and your work, you've certainly inspired me and I know you've inspired thousands and thousands of others as well. So, man, I want to thank you so much for doing what you do, doing it the way that you do it. Thanks for making some time for us today. With all that being said, Eric Wood, welcome to the Dad of the Man podcast.
1: Well, it's an honor to be on the podcast with you, Brendan, and you're you're exactly right. We are all constantly in this time of transition, and I think COVID put many of us in a transition, me and you included with our podcast and how they're operated and Mm -hmm. less in person and more on Zoom, which then gives you an access to so many people around the country that may not be in close proximity to you so everybody's constantly in this time of transition and transition may be big it may be a pandemic maybe a loss of a loved one it may be a career change like I had that that happened all of the sudden in a tragic way or it could be hey I'm just not satisfied with the way my life is going right now the trajectory of my life okay what do I need to change to make what's coming down the line better for me, so that I can sit back one day and be proud of what I built and not have regrets by just living on autopilot and just letting it happen all by happenstance.
0: One hundred percent. I'm super excited where this is going. By the way, and I'm going to put a pin right there, but I want to give everybody the chance to get to know you a little bit and kind of build back up to this point. So let's go back in time. Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, who you were as a kid, what you were into, siblings, the whole the whole nine yards there.
1: Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Cincinnati over on the west side, the blue collar side of Cincinnati. And um, you know, I had two younger brothers, one of them passed, he was born with severe cerebral palsy, he passed when he was 11 years old, I was 14 at the time, that drives a lot of what I do philanthropically, uh, especially in the western New York and Louisville communities trying to help families that have sick or disabled children, help them out financially or with experiences, whatever that may be so philanthropically that drives me, but I think in sports it's always dro- drove me as well. When you have a brother that's never walked or talked or breathed on his own, it's really hard to feel sorry for yourself in a summer conditioning session or a really tough practice. You know, it's really tough to feel sorry for yourself in those situations if you can kind of tap into that mindset. So Evan drove me um, for a lot of my life, but I grew up like most kids and most, most young boys that are about our age played all the sports. Really enjoyed competing still do to this day. Um, It's funny how much of what you enjoy as a child impacts what brings you joy as as an adult. And and a lot of times we ignore that. You know, Mm -hmm. if you enjoy competing and you enjoy sports, then you get maybe in your 30s and now you don't play sports anymore. You don't compete in anything but maybe business. And then you find yourself uh kind of chasing things in life. And that can so- kind of sometimes lead to that midlife crisis because you're not bringing yourself joy. So to this day, I still love to compete at, at a number of different sports. It's not football and rarely basketball anymore. I'm not trying to uh, – I don't even want to say this out loud, but tear a knee or pop an Achilles. But, um, <laughs> Knock on wood. Uh, yeah, so played all the sports, ended up getting a scholarship offer, just one scholarship offered to the University of Louisville to play football. Uh, which, was, which was a life changer for me.
0: Um, two things there, uh, hearing about your brother. I'm, obviously, I'm sorry to hear that story. That's, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that, but I can't think of a better way to honor him than the way that, the way that you just articulated that. Really, you know, considering his circumstance and what happened to him as, as just a way to ground yourself in gratitude and to really push yourself further. I think, one, I think that's such a cool way to honor him. You also hit on a huge point there that's become a big theme in my own just personal thoughts and journaling. And that is going back and just considering what you thought was fun as a kid. So I'm 30 years old. So I'm, I'm removed from, you know, I've got kids now, but you know I, I went the traditional path of go to school so you can get, a, make good grades, make a great, so you can get a good job. And then, you know, build your life and your family from there on this one career track. Um, Growing up, I was much more of a creative kid. I played sports, but I, I was very creative, loved to like, you know, write songs and play. I was in band and did all this kind of stuff. But I kind of went the other way in my career and went the accounting route, which is very the op- it's like the opposite side of the brain. Right. Right. And now I've had this I, I've started this podcast. And it's funny now that I'm gravitating so hard to it because it's really just a reflection of what I loved when I was a kid. Right. So I've been trying to go through that exercise um, myself and really consider like, yeah, what did I love to do when I was little? Let's bring that back. Cause that's, I think that's, you know, that's the roots of, of who I am. So I wanted to highlight that because I think that's a great exercise for anybody listening. Like if you're feeling maybe a little stuck, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling bored with what you've got going on, maybe consider that, maybe ask your parents what you were like as a kid, like go back and have that conversation. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, so let's continue your story. So after Louisville, you make it to the NFL, so you play nine years with the Bills. Talk, Tell me when in that process, I guess, you met your wife, got married. How did your life evolve in the league?
1: Yeah, I met, I met my wife in college, and so I entered the league with a girlfriend. We ended up getting married in 2012. I came into the league in 2009. We got engaged after my first year. I did the Joe Theismann leg break my rookie year, oh. and – either one of my parents was going to have to quit their job or my wife was going to have to drop out of um, one of her final semesters of school. And so she dropped out of school to come take care of me in Buffalo. And we grew so close through those times. I mean, I was completely uh, reliant on her to take care of me. And I got to see, how nurturing she was, how caring she was. And I always say, you know, you start dating a girl because she's pretty. That's like the initial attraction. You stay with Mm -hmm. her because she's cool. You get along. She's funny or whatever that may be. But you have no idea what type of wife and mother she's going to be when that time comes. And I got to see that caring, nurturing side of my wife through that process. There was never a doubt in my mind. I wouldn't have been with her for, you know, over a year prior if I didn't see long term potential. But And that really solidified it for me and kind of a blessing between uh, amongst a really tough time in my life. But uh, we ended up getting married in 2012. We now have two young kids. Grace is six. Garrett's four. They're a ton of fun. Um, They're getting to a pretty special age. And I know this podcast kind of focuses on dads. And I used to joke with teammates maybe not even joke so much. Like Early on, you're so excited to be a dad, but maybe in that first six months to a year, it's like hard for that dad to get so much connection where you almost feel guilty during those times. Well, Mm -hmm. then they hit stride, and you have a second kid, and you start playing a little bit more man-to-man defense. Uh You just get that that real close bond to your children, and my son's into all the sports, which makes it a ton of fun. My daughter's so creative, similar to kind of what you were saying. She loves art, and she loves doing crafts, and She'll play some sports. I'll get her out on the golf course and whatnot, but she's not dying to get out in the yard and play sports like my son is. And so it's fun that they kind of each have their own thing. And, you know, as a dad, you always got to be careful that you're not just gravitating to that one child that's into sports or whatever you're into and really kind of meeting each child where they are.
0: That's a huge point. Um, I'm I'm at a stage now. So my kids are pretty close to yours are five and three, two boys uh, little brother wants to be just like big brother. So whatever big brother does, little brother does too. We're kind of all into the same things, but I can already start to see that my oldest seems to be more into sports. And my youngest seems to be more into everything else that's going on. They're two different personalities. Um, and I'm starting, that's something that I'm starting to grow into as a dad and trying to be mindful of, of like, all right, just because big brother's playing baseball today, like, just because he hit two buckets of balls in the backyard doesn't mean that you got to go hit two buckets of balls in the backyard. Like, right. we can go color. We can go play with dinosaurs or play with puzzles or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's a it's a tough thing to navigate uh, to navigate. But I'm really glad that you brought that up. So to the th- so you've got your oldest is six. That would have meant that you brought one of those kids into the world while you were playing in, t- in the league. Right. Talk to me a little bit about the before and after of being an NFL offensive lineman before kids, after kids. How does that shake things up as
1: an athlete? It gives you a little bit more purpose when you're not just playing for yourself. You are truly providing for a child. And when your kids get older, like I got to play with teammates that had older kids and they get to see like the true work ethic. They get to come in the locker room after games and they get to see all the sacrifice. My daughter was three when my career ended. And so she doesn't truly appreciate or didn't get to truly see it. The, the, my best thing I got now is I had six lower body surgeries while I was playing. So I have a good amount of scars on my legs. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I'll tell the kids like we have nice things, but Danny broke his legs for these, for the, these nice things. We have this house over our head. I may not have a traditional job. I may get to take you guys to school and pick you up. And maybe a lot of dads can't do that, which comes with, how I am able to structure my weeks now. And my wife will tell you, I don't sit around and do nothing all day, but I'm able to structure my weeks to do that. So, so you almost get this complex, like, okay, well, we have these nice things, but my kids didn't truly get to see me play throughout my career. So they don't necessarily understand all of the grind and the sacrifice that goes into being an NFL ball player, but that's okay. They, they get to see their dad work in other ways, but, It is special having kids. And I mean, for so many reasons, I mean, I think back to, you know, we'd have these Saturday morning walkthroughs where families are able to come. Well, when you play on a team that is truly a melting pot of individuals from all over the country, they just get exposed to so many people that they might not to in your little section of whatever community you live in. It's just so much more diverse. We'd have holiday parties at our house. We'd always do, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas at our house and everybody was invited and you get people from all over the country. And you're like, the fact that Grace, even though she may not remember those moments specifically, the fact that she got to be around just so many different people, I think it's so, so valuable for those kids at a young age.
0: Yeah, that exposure is, is, I mean, that's amazing. That's a, that's a gift that your kids got to experience that, you know, that's, that's really cool. I'd love to hear you double down on the point, talk to us a little bit more, elaborate on this idea of, you know, a guy who has accomplished so much, you know, in his life so far at a young age, financially, I, most kids don't grow up in in the household where one parent was a professional football player. Financially, that changes things in a lot of ways. But I know that you are so deeply rooted in, in, in your discipline, and in your intentionality, and all these qualities that led you to getting there, like you were just talking about. Can you talk to us a little bit about, I guess, navigating that? Like, how do you How do you raise your kids to, and this is a big question (laughs) that I really don't know the answer to, but how do you raise your kids to appreciate the work that you've done while also, you know, just not being entitled to it? You know what I mean? I think it's a fine line to walk. Can you try to break that down for us a little bit?
1: Well, if you have answers for that, I would love for you to explain (laughs) them to me, but you know, it's, it's this constant kind of scale of weighing where you, like I worked extremely hard and still do to provide nice things for my kids and I want them to have them, but I also want them to understand that it takes work and commitment and sacrifice. And we are blessed to have these things. And so when we pray before meals, and we're out to a nice dinner, like, Lord, thank you that we get to have this incredible meal here today because we understand that not everyone is as fortunate to it's constantly teaching your kids to be generous and our family motto is a uh, in our mission statement is proverbs 11, 25. He who refreshes others will be refreshed and a generous person will prosper. So we want to be known as a family that refreshes others. We call it bringing joy to others. Like how much joy can you spread at school today? And everywhere we go that we're shining a light for Christ everywhere we go. And then how generous can we be? Because a generous person will prosper. And that's not, I'm not trying to give a prosperity gospel lesson here. I'm not saying you give it away. It'll come back tenfold, even though the Bible does say that. Mm -hmm. but or I think they say a 100 times. But when you are generous, you will feel that you'll feel a feeling inside of you that is truly prospering. And so it's constantly trying to get them to be others focused and not just think like, hey, you know, we have everything we need, we don't necessarily have to work hard for it. I, I don't see my dad leaving all the time. But for instance, I was calling games for ESPN and doing the Bills games for two years. That's a lot of time on the road each week in the fall. Well, when I was leaving each time, it's daddy's going to work. It's not, hey, watch it for daddy on TV. Daddy gets to go watch a football game. No, daddy's working. And so it's instilling that work ethic in your kids because you almost get this complex. You know, I grew up in a very blue collar family and, and you work for things and there wasn't a ton of extra margin. And so now that we do have that extra margin in our life, how do you still instill those values into your children? And part of that is just being deeply rooted in our faith, and then constantly trying to think of others first. I love that. I th-
0: that's that's super helpful to consider. You know, I'll, I'll say I was I'm the product of two parents who financially did very well for themselves, and you know I never had to worry about you know anything. Like I always knew Santa Claus was coming. I never had to worry about food. Like every opportunity that could financially be provided was there. So I'm a product of a really good situation. But what I'm hearing coming through from you and what I'm feeling as a reflection, just thinking back on my own past, like gratitude and work ethic together, those two things were like kind of just kind of the bookends. I remember being little and my parents talking to me in at night and they were just making me say like, hey, what what are we grateful for? What are we grateful for? What are we thankful for? Just like everything. Like my dad to this day, I think it's partly because he's got a little anxiety about it, but he will not take elevators. He will not take an escalator. He always just says there's somebody that can't take the stairs. Mm. So I'm going to take the stairs and then just working hard. I got, there's anything that my, my parents drilled into my brain as a young kid. It was like, that was what they praised. And I think the, just to kind of bring that full circle. I just, and it's exactly what you were alluding. You lead it from the front and then you just got to be careful about what you praise in your kids. So it's like, when they work hard, you praise them for that. When they're talking about what they're grateful for, you praise them for that. Um, but I love that answer. And I, that, that's super helpful. So then jumping back into your story, we move along, you're getting towards the end of your career. Um, I think you had just signed another contract or maybe this was a year after right around there with the bills. Um, That's essentially the end of your career there. Can you tell us that story about how your career came to an
1: end? Yeah, so I got drafted the Bills in 2009. My final year was the 2017 season. I signed a contract extension before the 2017 season. I was the first player that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott gave a contract to in Buffalo. So blessed to play my entire career in Buffalo. We, we were playing in the longest, profession, uh, longest playoff drought in all of professional sports, and everyone thought we were tanking in 2017. We traded away our last three top draft picks because they didn't necessarily fit what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were preaching within the building. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I'm the guy who signs the contract extension right before the tank, which no one wants to play in, and I didn't feel like we were truly tanking anyways, and that wasn't the message within the walls of the Bills facility. I go on to play every single snap that season, which is pretty rare in the NFL. I was the only player on the Bills to do it, one of only a few in the NFL because – That's amazing. You you could come off the field for so many different reasons throughout a season. You could be beating a team too bad. You could be losing too bad at the end of a game. Your Mm -hmm. shoe could fall off. A lot of times you get injured. So all that being said – you could come out for any reason. So I'm the only player to play every single snap that season. We break the playoff drought. If you haven't seen the YouTube video of us celebrating the locker room down in Miami, it it reminded me recently, who was it? The Timberwolves made the playoffs and everyone in the playoff game, and everyone was giving them a bunch of crap for – celebrating hard i'm like look they've made the playoffs twice in the last 18 years they don't have the star power of some of these organizations it's okay to celebrate making the playoffs celebrate your victories in life that's what makes life fun anyways we break the playoff drought and we play a playoff game down in jacksonville we lose down there And three days later, my son is going to be born in Louisville. My wife's going to be induced. And so it was kind of a win win. And I'm so, I mentioned earlier, I'm a competitive, I'm a competitor at heart. Well, it was the first time that I almost recognized a loss that in some way could be a win because then I was definitely going to be there for the birth of my son. So after every NFL season, you take an exit physical, you get cleared by the doctors, and then you can go on your way and you can go home. If you're, if you have residency in another hometown, or you, you're, you're free to just take a little time off. Well, I was dr- driving back to Louisville and they said, hey, let's get an MRI on your neck. I said, why? They said, well, you got some stingers this year. For those unfamiliar with stingers, it's a nerve deal that can cause uh, some numbness and burning in one of your extremities. For me, I was getting stingers for the first time in my life, but my high school buddies got stingers. Like I wasn't that concerned. If you played football long enough, you probably had one. So I wasn't concerned with it. They insisted I get an MRI on my neck. And I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to have to worry about how we get a two week old and a three and a half or a two and a half year old to the Pro Bowl. And instead, while we're sitting in the delivery room waiting on my son to be born, 50 minutes before he's born, I get to call that my career is over and I have disc and bones sitting into my spinal cord at C2, C3. Even with surgery, there's no possibility for a return to play. Rocked my world rocked my wife's world. You know, and we talk a lot about transitions. It's it's hard on you in that moment, but it can be hard on your loved ones as well. It was hard on my wife through those moments. Luckily, through that time, I had a foundation outside of football built on faith and family and friends. And I had so many people pour into me through that time. But, but I'd be lying if I said that wasn't a hard deal and even this week as the bills are reporting back for OTAs each year kind of drums up those feelings like I, I loved playing professional football I loved everything about it some people hated practice I love practice some people hated training camp I saw that as just an unbelievable time to get better at the sport and the craft that you love and so for me I truly believe God God got me out exactly when he needed to and I would have played till the wheels fell off and I'm blessed to be able to still play golf and do everything that I still love to do I just can't play pro football anymore
0: uh the polarity in that one day I mean one of the best days of your life probably one of the worst days of your life I'd have to imagine in one day in one hour right what's going on in your head when you're standing in the, the delivery room you're holding your newborn son and you're also like the other half of your heart's got to be broken about your career like Bring me into the delivery room there. Like what's going on in your head right there?
1: Yeah. I mean, in that moment, it was all about our son, Garrett. You know, my wife came out of delivery fine. We have this healthy son there. And that, that was entirely our focus. Now, as everything calmed down and quieted down, it was okay. Can we find other opinions? Cause I'm so stubborn. I'm like, okay, well, that's your opinion. Little did I know that he had reached out to other neurologists around the country the same ones we reached out to all said a similar diagnosis the exact same diagnosis that I, I would never pass a physical again no one would ever clear me at C2C3 you you're damaging everything below your spinal cord if you have any further damage that's paraplegia loss of respiratory function no one no organization would ever clear you and let you put yourself at that risk seeing the risk that I was under at that time so we reached out but but that's a great question. And, and honestly, it was one of those deals where we almost had to internalize it because we weren't ready to start telling people we wanted the focus to be on our family, on our new son, not just straight on me and my career ending. But over those next couple of weeks and everyone saying, <clears throat> are we making plans to go to the Pro Bowl? How are we doing this? Like normally we're booking flights. That's when we started to have to kind of start telling friends and family. And it it was a traumatic time, honestly, because we just weren't ready for it, Mm -hmm. but ultimately there's been so many blessings that have come out of that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, so you had to be really, I mean, maybe just a sideways hit away from potentially being paralyzed from the neck down.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's essentially what I was told. And that was the same year that Ryan Chazier ended up Mm -hmm. losing a lot of function of his lower limbs, his legs and lower body. And they couldn't understand why that didn't happen to me the way that it was the way that the disc and bone was sitting into my spinal cord. So, yeah, fortunate that it wasn't worse. And, that, and that's how you have to take things in life. It's those moments in those really tough moments. Look for the blessings. And it's so hard to do in those moments. But a good buddy of mine, Ed Milet, <clears throat> always says things happen for us, not to us. That's very easy to look at in retrospect, very hard to do in the moments. And even the Bible says it's okay to mourn. It's okay to be sad. But those moments of trials, of tribulations, of of those hard times make us mature. They talk about it uh, at the start of James. But that's going to make you whole and complete. And so learn from those moments of, of tragedy, of those tough times that you experience in life.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a beautiful illustration of something happening, you know, to you or for you, instead of to you, you know, you're thinking, oh man, I can't play football anymore, but also, man, if you'd played one more snap, you could have been paralyzed from the neck down. Um, I've I've said before, but sometimes it's like God plants your pivot foot for you. It forces you in a different direction, sends you on this different trajectory, um, which, which you're, you know, now working towards, you know, as, as you're continuing to grow your career after football. But I want to stay close to that moment for a little bit, just from through the, through the lens of, I think, identity crisis is, is a term that we, we hear sometimes midlife crisis, as, as you mentioned earlier, that's something that, that we experience. But, you know, you're, you're this, you're, you've played football your whole life, right? So you've spent a large portion of your life dedicated to one craft I don't know how you could do that without your identity getting wrapped up in that in some way, shape or form. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that's probably inherent to get to that level. So when that gets yanked out from under you and then you're sitting there and you're saying, all right, like the title of your podcast, what's next? Like, what are you thinking in that moment? Who are you leaning on? How did that process go for you? Can you kind of walk us through what maybe the next couple months to a year, what that process was
1: like rediscovering, finding a new purpose for yourself? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I had this foundation outside of football with faith and family and friends, and that's easy to say. But to actually live that out, and I would have always told you when I was playing, you know, it was faith, then family, then football, then either friends or fun or philanthropy, whatever you want to throw in there. And I I was able to rattle that off at will if, if I ever had a speaking engagement or whatever. But when you start having people come up to you and say, well, what are you going to do now? Oh, well, you're too young to be retired. Oh, do you need a job? And, and the way that makes you feel inside for me revealed that a lot of my identity was in being a football player for the Buffalo Bills, being a professional athlete, not being able to go to the facility and be a captain for them that next spring. Like that was tough for me. I had been a captain for the last five years for the Bills. I love my role in the organization. And now they're just moving on without you. That was tough for me to internalize, and and I don't shy away from that, and I don't think I necessarily did anything wrong because I poured so much into it that you are going to have a lot of your identity wrapped up into that, and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. But there is going to be a period of, okay, let's reestablish what's important for us. What's our our long-term vision? Okay, football was a great chapter of life. That's fine. How do we make this what's next chapter? And that's essentially what we've come to on the podcast is learning from others. And how do I make this next chapter of my life? While it may not make the same amount of money, while there may not be as many eyeballs on me, how do I make this one more impactful, more meaningful? How do I be the best dad, husband that I can be? How do I bring others to Christ, make an impact that is so using this platform of football if I need to, but using it? to bring people to the kingdom, whatever it may be, how do I make this next chapter more impactful? And that was a mindset transition because initially it's okay, well now I got to lose some weight because I want my body to feel better. And you kind of wrap yourself into that. Well, then that's even more image and you get this attention. Well, that's like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's ultimately all those things are, are just so fleeting and ultimately becomes back of back to and this is a lot of what it comes back to the podcast, a book that I'm writing. It's how are you gifted to serve others? Like we we talked about, you know, your childhood can often kind of lead to you to in the direction of what your gifts may be. Mm-hmm. Well, while I'm playing for the bills, a lot of media members would come to me because I would, I would speak my mind in a way that would never uh, jeopardize what we were doing as a team, but I wouldn't just necessarily give them cookie cutter answers. Well, those guys all started to reach out and say, "Hey, if you need any connections in the media, we've all we've always appreciated you the way you've treated us. We can scratch your back now. There's been business opportunities that come from this podcast, interviews, and people that I met along the way. And you just treat people right. Well, then all of that kind of starts coming back. And now I'm not saying I'm trying to wrap my my identity around a career again, but almost." kind of my network in a non sleazy way, like those I'm connected to, Mm -hmm. because ultimately you're going to become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so I want to be surrounded by these individuals, whether it's being a dad, a husband, a Christian, career wise, health and fitness, emotionally, um, financially, like those are the people that I'm now trying to spend the most time with. Yeah,
0: that's, uh, that, that's really cool. So you've got, I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of 140 episodes. That's how deep you are into your podcast. So you've been rolling with this for a little bit. You've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different times of transition in their lives. Are there any common denominators, any themes that you're seeing come from other people or things that you've maybe learned from others on your own podcast that you're, you know, leaning on and considering as you continue to grow in this, you know, this additional chapter cuz life after football and are there any pitfalls maybe that you've learned along the way that you're trying to avoid
1: man that's that's an excellent question so some common denominators are people that are in a big transition of life whether that's career whether that's football military ceos pastors that are on a stage have a big audience poured so much of their life into this career the first thing that hits you is the lack of a schedule and a lack of routine. And so I talk to a lot of guys that are transitioning out, or we talk about a lot on the podcast about finding a routine, especially a morning routine, because you start your day off the right way generally the rest of your day is going to follow suit. So what are the things that you're going to do in the morning that serves you? Do you need to wake up a little bit earlier before the kids get up so that you can knock those things out, but then still be present as a dad and husband when your family gets up? And a lot of the people I talk to that are either successful in whatever they do or they've transitioned successfully, they get up fairly early and they knock out a certain amount of things in the morning to get this routine going. And then they structure their days to go after a vision that they have, or, you know, a career goal, a health and fitness goal, whatever it may be, they're structuring their day. So that is one thing. Another thing is the people you surround yourself with, I just mentioned it. But there's so much power in the people you surround yourself with. And playing football in an NFL organization, you're instantly going to be surrounded by other NFL players. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, there's different segments of NFL players, there's guys that are fringe guys, there's guys that are pro bowlers there's guys that are hall of famers well those guys have different habits they can make you feel um oftentimes inferior or uncomfortable i'll say when you're around some of those guys and those are the people you want to be around you want to be around the people that make you feel uncomfortable in a way that you need to raise your level to be around them i had terrell owens on my podcast and i asked him what his favorite wing spot was in buffalo and he said "Ah, i don't know he i didn't need any chicken wings in buffalo i said what we all ate chicken wings in Buffalo. Like that's, that's what you do there. You know, a Monday night, you got six days till the next game. Like, that's okay. he said, I know, but I wasn't there to eat chicken. Like that is a different mindset. Well, To is a hall of famer. That's a hall of fame mindset. Who are the people that you can surround yourself with on a day-to-day basis that are the hall of famers in whatever you want to do? Who are those hall of fame dads that man, when you're around them, you're a little convicted by the way that they treat, Their wives and kids because it's such it's in such a high regard that you start questioning some things you're doing. Those are the people you want to be around, the businessmen and women that maybe they don't stay up quite as late, maybe they don't waste as much time, maybe they're not on social media as much. Well, sometimes those are the people that you need to be spending a little bit more time around. And so there, there's two examples there, but honestly, a lot of the best at transitioning are coachable. And that's either an accountability partner. It might be a coach that you hire. It may be someone that you follow on a podcast. It may be Brendan. It may be advice that you get from Brendan's podcast, but being coachable and constantly getting better in life. And when you're playing professional sports, just go back to it again, every single day, every, every day you weigh in, they know how much you weigh. They're looking at you know, different body parts of you, every step you take on a football field is analyzed on film. It's, it's analyzed on the field. Well, when you transition out, if you want to truly get better at what's next for you, you have to be coachable in those moments too. And sometimes you have to seek out that coaching. And like I said, it doesn't even always have to be a paid coach. It could be an accountability partner. It could be a buddy that you can trust. It could be a men's group at church, but being coachable is another thing that, that I have seen fruit from in my life, and so many of the podcast guests have talked about as well. And then pitfalls would be honestly, the biggest ones would be having poor perspective. You know, woe is me. You know, this always happens, it'll happen again. Of course, she left me. Everybody leaves me. That that perspective can get you in a lot of trouble. And, and I'm sympathetic of those people because look, we're all without being influenced or affected by the right people, we could all fall into those traps. If you're not raised by your parents who are instilling the right values and mindset in you, then then maybe you end up in a different direction, myself included. So I'm sympathetic of them, but the wrong perspective, a lack of discipline in your life. I mean, success comes from discipline. And, and no matter what that looks like, and whatever you're trying to pursue in life, there's certain discipline. You're gonna have to be obedient to something to achieve great things. And, and it's not always comfortable. And creating new habits takes time, but it's it's oftentimes along with the discipline, it, it's it's bad habits. And and it could be simply instead of getting into your morning routine in the morning you hit the snooze button instead of getting into the morning routine, you get on your phone and just immediately start scrolling social media. Those things are time killers and they just Mm -hmm. prevent you from, from making that what's next your best yet.
0: I love that. That last point that you made. I think a lot of times, and I do this, I say, you know, other people, but this is really just a reflection of me in the past when I'm trying to make an improvement in something I'm trying to do better. So I've, I've kind of gone through that process of like, okay, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to challenge myself to, be around somebody who makes me feel that little bit of, you know, uncomfortable to say I can do better. So like I've, I've accepted that I've given myself a little grace that maybe I haven't done the best in the past. I can do better moving forward. And I've accepted that. But then I default to adding more. I'm like, I need to add more to the routine. I need to add more to this. I need to do better. Like, it's just all more, whatever it's chasing that. But I found that oftentimes the real magic is just in taking something out. Like and you right. said, you said social media and that was like light bulb in my head. The less time I spend on social media, the more time, the less time I waste in that, the better the rest of my life is like the, be- the more time that I have to actually go spend with my kids. Like, you know, if, if I'm sitting here saying, I wish I had more time with my kids. And then I look at my screen time report and it's just three hours a day and that's all Instagram and Twitter and whatever. Then I think that's a point of reflection for me to say, maybe I don't need more time. Maybe I need to be, maybe I need less time on social media and to be a better steward of the time that I've
1: actually got. So I love that point of
0: sometimes less is more.
1: Oh, you're exactly right. And I had Craig Ballantyne on my podcast. So you have all these guys that have come on a podcast and they'll say in the morning, you meditate, you breathe, you get in the Bible, you get some movement in, you eat something healthy or you fast, you get your caffeine in, whatever it may be. So you you have that crowd. And then Craig Ballantyne, who has coached more people to seven-figure incomes than maybe anyone else in the country, he came on and said, whoa, 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 your mornings, you have the most willpower. Find your three most important tasks of the day the move the needle for you and what you're trying to move it in, whether, you know, whether that's business or family, whatever that may be, knock those things out first. And if those other things are important to you, you'll get to them. You'll get to your workout. You'll get to your, your morning time and meditation, whatever it may be. You'll get to that. But don't waste that most powerful time of willpower. And so you truly need to find out what works best for you personally. But I'm with you 100%. You start get adding too many things into that morning routine or in your daily schedule, mm-hmm. it's going to crowd out your ability to move the needle in other areas.
0: Yeah, I like Craig's approach. I found that that works well for me. I've, you know, I've, I've gone through the, you know, trying to do like the miracle morning and a lot of these other things. And I've had success with miracle morning as well. I just have to really condense it. But like, you know, for example, I'm, I'm trying to build this podcast and I have another regular job that takes up the majority of my time. And then I'm also trying to be a husband and a dad. So it's like, I know if I can get an hour in, in the morning, if I can be up from five to six, I can do those first three things. And then I can sit down with a devotional. Then I can sit down, have a cup of coffee and reflect and write and do all these things. Then, then I'm really moving. But that, it's that magic time in the morning um, for me. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that thought process.
1: I'm with you there as well. For me, my, if I'm going to say my faith is number one in my life, then mm-hmm. to me, okay, I'm going to knock that out first. That is my morning tithe. You know, Mm -hmm. that's my 10, that's my 10%. I call it my 10 minutes in the morning in a devotional, whatever it may be right now. I'm using this app called glorify that makes it pretty easy just to kind of structure. And, you know, you don't have to think about it. You get on there, it gives you your morning reading, the devotional and everything all in one. I have no affiliation with that company, by the way. That's just what I'm doing right now. So I'm starting in that way. And then it's my gratitude journal or whatever else I'm doing. I got my red light therapy going at the same time. So I'm trying, I'm always trying to habit stack, which is probably in, in not multitask habit stack. So if I have scripture, I'm trying to memorize when I'm brushing my teeth, I'll start to remember. I'll try and memorize or recite it in my head during that time. While I'm brushing my teeth. If I'm going to do you know, some red light therapy in the morning to wake myself up and get that circadian rhythm going, okay, what else can I do during that time? If I'm going to catch a morning workout. Okay. If I'm prepping for a podcast, if I'm having bread in on the podcast, okay, I'm going to knock out a couple of these podcasts while I'm working out at the same time. And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to habit stack without necessarily multitasking, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. that, That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Gosh, what's the book? Atomic Habits is one that I read yeah. that helped help me with that a lot. Great book. Um, but I want to I want to pivot a little bit and I guess really circle back. You you mentioned your faith being that's number one in your life. Yeah, that's you give your, your tithe of time, first 10 minutes of every day. Can you talk to us a little bit about maybe your faith? When you really grew into your faith, has that something that's always been a part of your life, or is it something that you've grown into as you've grown older? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools first through 12th grade. So I was always around religion, but I didn't necessarily have a relationship with Christ. I got to college and, you know, just kind of got away from it. We weren't going to church a whole lot as a family. So that wasn't a priority in my life. And Midway through college, I get exposed to FCA at Louisville, Fellowship of Christian Mm -hmm. Athletes. And now I'm on the board of it. And it's grown into this just unbelievably impactful uh, ministry at the University of Louisville, where over 300 student athletes are coming per week. When I first started going, there was only seven. But there was a guy named Chris Morgan there who modeled the behaviors that I wanted to see in my life. And that's why I tell people all the time, like, don't tell people about Christ, show them Christ. You know, Chris was fun. He had a great marriage. He was an incredible father to his three daughters. He served people constantly. But that dude was also in the gym working out with us. He was a ton of fun to be around. They hosted us at their house. Like that was a guy that I wanted to be around. So when he said, hey, we're doing these Monday night FCA meetings, I said, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Well, three or four years later, a men's group at church, I got baptized when I was 26 years old. And that became the foundation of my life. Everything that me and my wife do in our family, our actions, I wish I was perfect. I never will be. And when you see me curse on a golf course, <clears throat> drinking a beer, whatever it may be, look, there was a perfect person that lived and, and I'm not him, but I'll point you to him. Mm-hmm. And I know what my life is like now. And I know the peace and contentment I can live with because of a relationship with Christ that is tangible to me and I want it for other people. So it's easy for me to talk about because it's something, uh, that I've, I've experienced so much benefit from in my life.
0: I love the idea of, you know, modeling Christ for other people to, to, to draw into it that way. I think it's, it's similar to the way that we raise our kids. Like we, we want to model that behavior for them, whatever it is, whether, you know, it's teaching them to be respectful or, or, you know, any lesson in the world, the only real way to teach him is to model it for him. So I love that perspective of modeling Christ for, for other people.
1: So yeah, before, yeah go well, ahead. Just quickly. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's like, we like me personally, and us as a family, like my goal would be us not, and I'm not against this, and I would rock it, but us not necessarily to walk around with Southeast Christian church, Southeast Christian church shirts on, which is our home church here in Louisville, Kentucky. It's not to maybe walk around with a cross necklace on at all times and someone say, oh, he's a Christian. I want to act in a certain way where someone says, what's different about Eric Wood? What's different about his family? Why do they have a certain amount of joy to them? And then that attracts people to Christ and not necessarily us just simply having to bombard people all the time because I just have seen that not work in people's lives. I want to pose a question to you that I got from a listener
0: Um, about an hour ago, we were getting ready for this conversation and I got a DM from somebody and I said, I'm going to throw this up to Eric because I think he'll be a good person to answer this. So somebody messaged me very respectfully, very curiously. He just said, you know, I, I found your show. I'm enjoying it. I'm not a person of faith. Like I, I'm not against it, but I'm just, you know, that's just not really me. But I noticed you talk about faith a lot on the show. And he said, I don't really see how those connect or go together. Like, so he said the the real question behind what he was saying is how does being a Christian, modeling Christ for other people, how does that impact you in your role as a husband, a father, a leader of your family, a leader of your community? Can you try to maybe speak to that person who asked that question
1: and and unpack that a little bit? I hope I answered this correctly, but I've seen personally a lot of families, my own, including as a kid, not have Christ at the center of the family and it not work out. Divorce, alcoholism, whatever it may be. I've seen that and I got exposed to a lot of people throughout my time, especially in Louisville, that had a way different relationship with as parents and as husband and wife and that that treated people in a certain way that attracted me to them. I gave it a shot and it worked wonders in my life. I I hope that you listening out there get to be exposed to the right types of Christians that can attract you to a lifestyle so you can feel the benefit for yourself. If you're wondering where to start, I told a buddy recently, he was going through a job change at work. And when I say a job change, he was building a business for a long, long time, years on end thought he had his dream business built, partnered up with a guy who swept out the rug from underneath him and really stole the company from him, had to move his family. And it was a really trying time for him. And I said, Josh, I know this is really difficult for you right now. And I know you think it's very easy for me to say, but I want you for the next 30 days to pray, God, what do you want me to learn from this situation and make it crystal clear to me, make it crystal clear. Well, and, and, and like I said earlier, I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel. It worked out well, and now he's he's devoted his life to Christ. But within a month, his relationship with his wife and kids changed. He got to spend more time at home. This business that he had spent so much time building on top of another job had deprived him of so much time from his wife and kids. So now he has more time at home. He ends up getting essentially a dream job in sales that he was made for making more money than he would have made throughout working at that business. It was a sports complex. So he was going to be gone from the house when other kids are out of school, essentially at the sports complex. So he would be home during the day when his kids were not home away when his kids were home. I mean, it was, it was just, it was a recipe for disaster. God stripped that from him, knowing that that would be a bad, that would be a bad move for him in his life, a bad career and gave him this now dream job and it's worked out perfectly for him and it took a little time in the morning a little self reflection a little perspective some time commitment getting in the word but you know what i one it's not a coincidence i don't i don't believe there truly are coincidences i think there's god winks but god god is going to do incredible things in your life once you let him And I would just challenge those out there to just give it a shot. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by sacrificing 10 minutes a day in the morning for a morning devotional? If you're a sports fan, go pick up Tony Dungy's Uncommon uh, Daily Devotional. It's a five-minute read, if that, each day. A lot of sports stories in there. You'll hear from Peyton Manning and a number of others. Give that a shot and just see what it does in your life.
0: That's awesome. I love that. That's such a good answer. You 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 crushed that by the way. Um, Thank you. And I, 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 I
1: was I was hoping I I didn't <laughs> skate around it. That's a,
0: I, I really like that prayer. And that's something that I pray a lot is, you know, what are you trying to teach me? Please be clear. Like I'm listening, like whatever it is, you know, whether it's something I want to hear, whether it's something I'm I i do not want to hear. My wife and I I mentioned we've got two kids. We're trying to adopt a third. So we've been going through this process for a little over a year now, about a year and a quarter, a year and three, four months. And it's just, it's ups and downs, man. It's a lot. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's no um, there's no outlet for, hey, I'm going to go work harder and make this happen faster. There's no, I'm going to do, you, you can't escape it. You just, it's one of those things where you just have to sit in it. And without faith in that, I think I would have pulled every hair in my head out at this point. Like I would have lost it. I would have lost my mind. I would have lost patience what's really come my wife and I've been talking about this a lot recently, just praying like, you know, what are, what do we need to learn in this season? You know, it's a season, it's a season of waiting. It's a challenge. It's a test of faith, but what can we learn in this? And Mm. that's, that's given us a lot of peace in this time to, to continue and to explore what else is out there. And it's um, I just love that prayer. I think that's so powerful. It's so strong. So thanks for, thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yeah. And I'll be praying for you through this adoption process. It's amazing to me how hard it is for incredible people to adopt a child in this world. It's shocking. It really is. A buddy of mine just went through a a multi-year process and they were even open to, you know, drug use with the mother Mm -hmm. and things that I know families that are more picky with the kids they want to adopt, they have to wait even longer. It's amazing. Now I am appreciative of the vetting process because you can't just give children to whoever says, Hey, we want a child. Right. but man, I'll be praying for you. Cause I know that's an extremely tough process. I've heard about the pamphlets and the packages that you have to fill out. And they're like a hundred pages long, <laughs> handwritten. It's like, once you get through that, it's like, okay, those people are probably committed to, to wanting a child. Yes. It's
0: shocking that as that it's been as challenging as it has been. But like I said, we're trying to, you know, have faith and sit in that, sit in it and feel it, feel the emotions, feel the patience, feel the challenge. And learn what we need to learn, learn, uh, learn from it. Because I know, like you said, it's not a coincidence. I know it's, um, it's a nice long wink. Uh, you said, God winks. It's a nice long wink from God in this one. Yeah. So let, I want to transition a little bit here as we get, as we get to the back end couple, just a couple questions. I asked most of our guests, they're pretty personal um, about you, but I want to, I want to ask you, so you're a guy who you, know, you played nine years in the league. You've got a beautiful family, You're on television now still doing broadcasting. You've got your podcast. that's killing it. You're super articulate. Like you, you present very, very well. Is there anything that you maybe struggle with or catch yourself working on personally things that, you know, people who may know you from a distance with a degree of separation, whether it's through social media or any of the things I just talked about, they may not see that. I mean, they may not know that about you. And they may just think, man, Eric's just He's got it all. It's, it's, it's easy for him. I don't have to deal with that. You know, whatever. He doesn't have to deal with that, what I'm dealing with. Is there anything that you maybe struggle with or you find yourself working on personally that others wouldn't know about?
1: Well, I am a um, type A, high, strung person. So there's constantly things in my life that I'm picking on myself about. I can play the comparison game as well as anybody out there. And if you're playing the comparison game, you can always find someone out there that is more successful, has a bigger podcast, a better broadcast gig, transition better from the NFL, whatever you want to call it. You can find that out there. And then something that I struggle with often is saying no. And I'm not looking – this isn't a cop-out answer, but at one point in my career – And when I was still playing, I thought, man, all my teammates seem to be getting all these um, opportunities for investments or, you know, post career opportunities. And I don't feel like I'm getting any. And now it's the opposite. I just feel like there's always something coming across my desk and kind of that next shiny object. And so I I would say, ultimately, it's a lack of contentment which is something I pray about often. And contentment's a funny word because in sports, that's like a no-no. You never want to be content with where you're at. I don't care if we won the last game, never, never settle, never be satisfied. And then the Bible talks a lot about contentment and and how we should be content with our circumstances, no matter what they are. You know, that Proverbs, uh, or sorry, Philippians 4.13 verse that you'll see written on Tim Tebow's eye um, black, and a lot of athletes point to, a lot of business. People point to, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like, boom, I'm killing it. Christ, thank you. You gave me the strength for this. Well, that was written when Paul was in a prison sentence, and he was talking about contentment. He was talking about, in all circumstances, I can be content. So for me, something I I would say would be just struggling with contentment in my life. And Mm -hmm. I think that goes twofold. I think we should all be striving to be the best versions of ourselves. That's God-honoring. But are you doing it in a way to please others, to elevate yourself, or are you doing it in a way to serve others and glorify God?
0: That's awesome. Great answer. Fastball question
1: here. What are you the most proud of in your life so far? I would say my family. You know, and, and I, I, I don't even think I need to think any further, just <laughs> just the the family dynamic that we have. Gosh, I mean, God bless me with just an absolutely gorgeous wife. I tell her all the time, you know, I'm so glad you looked through 310 pounds, you know, (laughs) uh, and, and found my personality in there. But just the relationship that I have with my wife and my kids right now, and that's ever changing. And that's a day to day process to to commit to that. But that would be what I'm most proud of.
0: Last question has to do with the word legacy. So if you look around on social media, legacy is talked about a lot. And it has a lot of different words and, and connotations attached to it. Uh, there's a lot of financial attachments to it. Generational wealth is something we hear a lot about, all these different things. When I think about legacy, I think about the people that mean the most to me. And I think about who I will, God willing, leave behind on this earth. So within those two buckets, I think about my kids. And when I think about legacy, I think about The moments, the memories, the lessons, the experiences, just the little things that we got to do together or that they picked up from me along the way that, like I said, God willing, I'm able to leave them behind on earth. They'll get to remember about me and kind of live the rest of their life with. So they could point to something and say, oh, I remember dad did that. So I'm going to go live this way. So if I, if I turn that or phrase that in that way and toss it back to you and say, what do you want your legacy to be with your kids? How would you answer that?
1: Man, that's a great question. And in that Proverbs 22, 6, raise your children up in the way of the Lord, and when they're old, they will not stray from that. It's right now trying to create a foundation on faith and work ethic and discipline and, and creating strong values in them that lead them to successful lives. And I'm not just talking financial success, to be successful in their marriages and career and whatever they want, in life and instilling those values now. But um, I, I truly love the way you phrase that, because one like my personal mission statement, part of it is use my gifts and platform that God has given me to positively impact others, starting with Leslie, Grace and Garrett. And so for me, it starts with them. And it's to positively impact them each and every day with my actions, with my words, and what I'm instilling in them. And then let them kind of lead on that wood
0: legacy. Eric Wood, everybody, thank you so much, Eric, for making some time for us today. This has been, it's been a blessing, man, to have you on. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Where is the best place for people to find you, follow you? Where do you want to send people?
1: Yeah, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at EWood70. I'm most responsive to messages on Instagram because anyone can message you on that platform. Uh, My website's ericwoodmedia.com. You can find um, all the podcasts are on there, but my podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, it's on all the major podcast platforms. Give it a listen. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love
0: to hear from you. Awesome. And uh, and I'll mention this now for anybody listening. Eric did mention, uh, he mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but he does have a book coming along that he's working on. Um, it sounds like we'll have more details on that this this summer, this fall, and we will certainly uh, be promoting it. You'll hear more about it here. But wanted to put that out there. Eric, thanks again, man. Let's keep in touch, brother
1: absolutely my pleasure brandon you do a great job it's an honor to be on all right everybody that's it
0: thanks for listening and if you haven't already do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review we can't thank you enough for your support until next time remember to love and lead from the front see you